Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word this morning and to read and spend some time with it. We just pray that you would speak into our hearts and into our minds, each of us, what we would need to hear from you this morning. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You might want to turn um, back to the first reading again, um, the Psalm 23, right in the middle of the Bible. We're looking at the moment uh, a short mini-series um, during Advent entitled God's Great Plan. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Um, and we're looking at some characters and some uh, things that have happened in the Old Testament at the beginning of the Bible. Um, and it's a big chunk of the Bible, really, probably two-thirds of it there. And strangely enough, the Old Testament isn't just good for Sunday school stories for children, and nor is it just good for great epic blockbusters by Cecil B. DeMille or Russell Crowe, if you want to come a little bit more up to date. It's actually a fantastic story through time of God's love for mankind and his plan for mankind, his plan of salvation, and that's why we're looking through some of the characters and some of the incidents in the Old Testament foreshadowing God's great plan and through the coming of Jesus. We've already looked a couple of weeks ago at uh, the book of Genesis when Richard was bringing to us some of the lies that we hear about the dark world that we live in and the truth that we can see in the person of Jesus. Um, and then last week he talked to us about Abraham and the promise that Abraham had that he would be a blessing to many nations and how through and in Jesus we can be a blessing to others. And if you haven't heard those, I would commend listening to them. Just go to our website or SoundCloud or wherever and you can download those and listen to them at your leisure. This week we're looking at another character from the Old Testament and it's the character of David. Now he's mentioned, David is mentioned in the, the Christmas story and in the New Testament um, a number of times. So right at the beginning of the New Testament, the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book um, of Matthew, we read a record this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we have the title there, the son of David. And this, when it was talked about in the New Testament in this way, was not just primarily um, a statement of his kind of physical genealogy, of his um, lineage, where Jesus had come from. The title son of David was a title that had overtures of, of a messiah, about it. So when people referred to Jesus as the son of David, they were really talking about him as being the long-awaited deliverer, the long-awaited saviour. And he would come to fulfil the Old Testament prophecies. We read further on in Matthew, a couple of blind men who came to Jesus used this title of him, have mercy on us, son of David. And with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem just before Jesus' death, the crowd waving the palm branches are singing Hosanna to the son of David. They're acknowledging Jesus as the coming Messiah. We also read um, in Luke, um, well-known um, verse at this time of year, at Christmas time, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, Christ the Lord. And this would have been the town that David was born in, the town of Bethlehem, and it was fulfilling uh, uh, what we term the, the Davidic covenant, or the covenant between God and David from back in the Old Testament, when God said to him, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever, your throne 
shall be established forever. And that covenant that was promised to David was to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, whose house and whose kingdom, whose throne would ultimately last forever. And we've got that joy of living in that covenant promise today. So let's have a look um, at David and see how his, uh, the foreshadowing of Jesus in David's life. We could look at a number of different aspects of him, the fact that he was a king, the fact that he was uh, attributed as being a prophet or a priest, many things that are then attributed to Christ um, in the New Testament. We're actually going to look at this psalm this morning, one of David's worship songs in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, perhaps one of the most famous psalms that there is. Often we, we hear it read at, um, at funerals, especially kind of as words of comfort. But it was words that would then be echoed in the New Testament as Jesus, uh, as we've read this morning, would use that metaphor for himself, being the good shepherd. But let's look briefly at that psalm this morning. It's grown up out of David's upbringing as a shepherd boy. We read um, in the Old Testament when Samuel goes to anoint him, um, he finds that David's out in the fields tending his, um, his father's sheep. And then later on in the story of David and Goliath, Saul is trying to say that David isn't strong enough or old enough or experienced enough to go and fight Goliath. And David retorts by reminding him that as a shepherd, he was out in the fields fighting off the wild animals, the lion and the bear, as he protected the sheep. He knew what it was to be a shepherd as he wrote this psalm. Now, our knowledge of shepherds today, especially in West London, is probably limited, I would say. I don't know how many of you come across a shepherd on a daily basis or a flock of sheep, but I suspect it's not many of us. I'm not sure if there's anyone in the congregation today who is a shepherd. Apologies if there is, and I will bow to your knowledge, but I doubt it very much. Our knowledge of shepherds is perhaps limited um, to what we might see on the television. I don't know if any of you can remember back in the 70s, fantastic program, One Man and His Dog. Maybe it was just me, I don't know. 1976 that started, way before some of you were born, of course. Um, and would you believe, at its peak, it was getting 8 million viewers. 8 million people would tune in to see a gnarled old man in a flat cap and a crook on a hillside shouting out things like, come by, and a dog would be going around and rounding up sheep and putting them in a pen. Eight million viewers. There you go. How times have changed. But it's still on. Apparently there's still episodes on Country File now. So there you go. So go home and look up YouTube and look for one man and his dog. You'll be entertained, I'm sure. But if that's our understanding of what a shepherd is, then this certainly wasn't the understanding of shepherd in David's um, time. At the ancient Near East, where, where David was, being a shepherd was a dangerous role. There were wild animals that were there to, to take the sheep and have a meal for themselves. You would need to search long and hard for water and for pastures. And you'd be out for days, weeks, possibly months at a time. It was a real lonely existence. The sheep relied totally on the shepherd for their safety. And that was the setting for this psalm. That was David's understanding of what a shepherd was all about. So we get to, to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. David acknowledges here 
that the mere presence of a leader or the mere presence of a shepherd isn't enough. I think we can read the emphasis into this verse. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not just any old shepherd, not just any old leader, but he has the Lord there leading him. It's almost with pride, I think he's saying that, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's easy for us today, I think, sometimes to be led by a number of different things. Perhaps we're led in the way that we live our lives by maybe our education or our upbringing, maybe our status in terms of our work positions or our positions within a family, maybe our political views or, or the views of our family and friends around us. It's e- easy to be led and go down a path by all of these things, which in and of themselves are not bad things, but David reminds us here of the ultimate leader, the ultimate shepherd for us. The Lord is my shepherd, the one who calls us by name, the one who makes us his own, the one who delights in us. And the entire theme of this psalm is David's utter contentment that he feels in his shepherd's care. Verse 1, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want, or I shall lack nothing. A reminder of God's provision for us in every aspect of our lives. And the Bible reminds us that God meets our needs. He doesn't necessarily meet every want and every desire in our hearts. In Philippians, later on in the Bible, we're reminded that my God will meet all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's a God that really loves to provide for us. He loves to be the shepherd in which we can say, yes, truly, I shall lack nothing. I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still and quiet waters. Now, one thing I've learned in preparing this sermon this morning is quite a bit about sheep. I don't claim to be an expert, but I have learned some things that I didn't know before. And one of the things that I didn't know was it's not easy to get a sheep to lie down. Obviously, getting this picture here obviously took many months of traveling around following sheep. But they do lie down. But apparently it's not easy to make a sheep lie down. It's a lot easier to make a dog lie down if you train it properly. And I know there's a number of people that have got dogs here. And if you train them right, and, uh, you know, they listen to your voice, and you can say, lie down, and the dog lies down. With sheep, not so much. Sheep don't want to lie down unless they feel completely secure, unless they're secure in themselves and they don't feel any fear, and they're secure in their environment, in secure with the other sheep around them, apparently. And it's up to the shepherd to see that the flock is in a place where they're free from any disturbances. Now, what I do know about sheep is, because I have watched them occasionally when I've been on holiday to the Peak District, is that they are very easily frightened and they're very skittish. And as soon as something happens, one of the sheep will be heading off at a million miles an hour and all its mates will be following, even though they haven't got a clue what's frightened them in the first place, but they'll be all off together as a flock. They're very skittish and they're easily frightened, which is why you don't see them lying down that much. And David here is talking about a God who helps him 
to lie down in green pastures. It helps him to come away from his fears. And David lived in uncertain times. He lived an uncertain life in the same way that we do today. Perhaps this year, as much as anything, we've come to realize how uncertain our world is. Changes can happen, disasters can happen overnight. And it's quite often the unknown or the unexpected that frightens us most. And we need to hear, as David understood here, that our shepherd is near us. Our shepherd is there to calm our fears, to help us see that life isn't quite as terrifying as we might feel. God has given us a spirit, has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love, it says in the New Testament. God helps us not to see fears around every corner. He allows us to lie down in green pastures. And the second element that helps a sheep to feel secure is to be secure amongst its peers, to be secure amongst the other sheep that it's with. Apparently, there's something with sheep called the butting order. Now, I know all about the pecking order because I used to look after chickens. We used to have chickens at home, and the pecking order was a very real thing. You would introduce new chickens to the flock because the old ones had died or got eaten by a fox or something, and the new ones that came along would get pecked by the older ones that were there already, like quite viciously sometimes, and they would draw blood in them to establish the dominance, to establish what the hierarchy was to let them know their place in it. And apparently sheep have got something similar as well, what they call the butting order, where sheeps aren't necessarily, sheep aren't necessarily very content with where they are and with what they've got at the moment. And they will often butt heads with other sheep to move them along because they're not content with where they are. They want to push them off to somewhere else. They want things to themselves. So in order for sheep to be able to lie down to be happy, to be content. They need to be content with those around us. And the psalmist David has recognized that in this psalm and something that we can take from today, an element of contentment, being content with those around us and those that we see. We've talked before about social media and the wonderful thing it is, but how often we can use it to look at others and to think, if only, and I wish, and to see other people's holidays or families or achievements at work or whatever, and to become discontent with our own lives. And the psalmist is saying here, with the Lord as our shepherd, he wants us to be content in his presence and to rely on him and him only so that we can lie down in green pastures. Our Lord's presence provides contentment for us. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Now, apparently there's a a shepherd's term which is called a cast sheep, C-A-S-T, a cast sheep, and that is a picture of a cast sheep. It's not scratching its back, but apparently sheep can occasionally fall over And then when they fall over, they can't actually get back up again. And it's something to do with them being top-heavy or their center of gravity being high or not very strong legs or them just being stupid, I don't know. 
but apparently sheep will fall over and genuinely not be able to get up. And if you, if you um, Google cast sheep or sheep on its back or you look on YouTube, there's some quite, well, they're quite amusing, actually, uh, videos of sheep that are just lying on their back and can't get up and they need help to get up. Um, and if the shepherd doesn't arrive in time, um, the sheep will eventually die. It can't feed, it can't drink, it can't, nothing will happen. It's completely vulnerable to any predators or anything like that. If the sheep can't right itself, if someone doesn't come and right it, then, um, then it will just die. So if the shepherd doesn't arrive to provide assistance quickly, that's what will happen. And many times, especially um, in the, the ancient times, a shepherd would go out and look for sheep that were lost, would count them up, would realize that there was one or two missing, would go out and look, and often they would find it was a sheep that was cast, it was a sheep that was on its back that couldn't do anything for itself, it was helpless. And they would write it, and uh, they would massage its legs and make it warm and allow it to then have some stability and to walk on. And that's maybe what David had in mind here, it's thought, in this verse, where he talk about restoring my soul. It's like the sheep that's cast and is restored back to itself again. It's helpless. It's found itself in a situation that it can't get out of by itself. But the shepherd comes along and restores the sheep to its rightful self. It restores my soul. We often stumble and fall in life and feel that we're quite helpless but we've got a shepherd who's patient, a shepherd who is tender, a shepherd who cares for us and wants to right us and stand us back on our feet again. And we see that in the Gospels with Jesus' attitude towards people that were often um, tagged as sinners, how he restored them because of his gentleness, his kindness and his love. We looked at um, Peter, Jez did in a sermon just a few weeks ago when we were looking at um, wisdom in failure and we looked at Peter who had failed Jesus so badly but then was restored again and even David the character that we're looking at today great king great leader of the children of Israel had some huge failures had some really bad times in his life and he knew what it meant to be restored we've mentioned it this morning already in our in our confessional prayer we read, read the words restore to me the joy of your salvation more words of, of David from the Psalms. And verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Often in search of, of mountain pastures for the sheep, they would have to be driven and led through, um, through valleys, a little bit like this one, with sheer rock faces on either side, no water, no grass, no pasture in them. If the sun was on the other side of the hillside, they might be cold and dark places, a place where predators could be waiting for the sheep as well, places of danger, places of darkness, of little food. And the shepherd would lead them through these areas. And David talks about it here and says that even though he's going through valley places in his life, he won't fear because the shepherd is with him, because God is with him. And we're going to experience those areas in our lives ourselves. It might be that we're on a bright, sunny hillside 
of life at the moment, but we know that there are valleys through life. Some of us have lots of valleys, some of us have a few, some of us have deep valleys that seem to go on forever, some of us have shallow ones that are temporary, but whatever, the valleys are real, really real in our lives. We're not promised that we'll be led around the valleys, but we're promised from this psalm that God will walk through them with us. We need a shepherd there to lead us, to guide us, one that's been there before us, who knows the way. And if you think that this psalm can sometimes come across as as a little trite, maybe, just look back one chapter at Psalm 22, which David wrote as well. This is the same person that's writing these words about not fearing and the shepherd being with him. And the first verses of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. David was a man who knew what it was to feel alone, to feel afraid, to really have valley experiences. And he used some of the Psalms to just cry out passionately to God as he didn't understand what was going on. But this is the same man who then wrote Psalm 23, partly out of his experience and partly out of pure faith, I think. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I won't fear because you are with me. So let's move forward. This was a foreshadowing, David, as we've already said, of the person of Jesus coming to us. And we've read already, Nick's read to us, the passage from John where Jesus uses the same metaphor for himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the word good here, um, in original, I think we don't, in English, it's not as powerful or as meaningful as it it might have been in the original. You often think of good as something, actually, that's not that great, really. Often when you fill in a survey... You might have, you know, good at the beginning, but then you might have very good, and then you might have excellent at the thing. So good is kind of actually at the, the poorer end of, of uh, um, something that's acceptable, really. But here the word good has got kind of connotations of beauty about it, almost like the word means kind of noble or worthy. Jesus was saying, I'm the worthy shepherd. I'm the one that is worthy of this title. He's contrasting himself with the hired hand, the person who was employed just to look after the sheep who would only be really out for number one, out for his wages, but didn't really have a vested interest in the sheep. But Jesus is saying, no, actually, I've got a vested interest in you as my sheep. I'm in it for the long haul because he had an intimate relationship with them, with us. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He didn't just know about us, doesn't know of us as if we're a list of names or numbers. He knows us deeply and intimately, everything about us, and loves us to the core. And it's a mutual relationship. We don't have a faraway, impersonal God. We've got a God that we can have a relationship, a close relationship with, that we can know him just as he knows us. And secondly, he says, he lays down his life for the sheep. A word that speaks of sacrifice. 
where this word and this phrase is mentioned other, other places in John, it always means that the death is on behalf of someone else. It's always sacrificial. We're assuming in this case that the sheep are in mortal danger and in their defense the shepherd loses his life so that by his death they're saved. And that's what ultimately makes him the good shepherd and ultimately points forward to his death and his resurrection on our behalf. It's the same Jesus that we anticipate during the Advent season. And it's easy to get caught up in seeing Jesus as the kind of helpless babe in the manger in Bethlehem, but it's not. It's the good shepherd, God with us, God come down to us to lay down his life for us, his sheep, so that we can come into a close relationship with him. And that's why we come to communion, which we're going to share in a few minutes' time as we remind ourselves of the death and the resurrection of Christ for us, that we can come into relationship with him because of his great love.